Hey guys, thanks for listening to Kinda Dating, the comedy dating podcast where I, your host, Natasha Chandel, and some cool guests break down the dating world and try to figure out why the fuck do we all have commitment issues? Today's topic is polyamory, myth versus fact. Let's do this. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Kinda Dating. I'm Natasha. Do me a solid. Follow us on socials. We're at Kinda Dating on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today is a very interesting topic, and I have a very cool guest on. Um, I have author Dedeker Winston here to talk to us about polyamory. She is the author behind The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory, Everything You Need to Know About Open Relationships, Non-Monogamy, and Alternative Love. Hi, Dedeker. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for being on. This is our first uh, call-in episode. We actually haven't had a call-in episode yet. Um, oh, yeah, so we're taking excited. your call-in virginity. Awesome, yep. how sexy. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and this is such a cool topic because I feel like a lot of people are interested in it. Uh, a lot of people mention it to me. So uh, I'm glad that we got to have um, somebody like you who is a who practices this lifestyle um and uh i know you from uh we sort of work together even though you didn't know me but i kind of in a matter of fashion i suppose yeah Yeah. uh you were on the fox show utopia uh Mm -hmm. and uh i was a producer on that show so I knew a lot more about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You definitely saw probably a lot more behind the scenes. A lot more of the kimono parted, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, and that, that was actually <laughs> one of the first times I was really exposed to polyamory on sort of a oh, really? more mainstream level. Yeah, I guess um, yeah. I'd heard about it, but um, didn't really, uh, I'd never seen um, it in action. And I'd learned a lot about it from listening to you on the show, so... Yeah, you know, actually, I think a lot of people had that similar experience because, I mean, as far as I know, I think that was one of the first, like, really big mainstream discussions about polyamory on, on like, a national network, you know, not on, like, a cable network or anything like that, yeah. at least as far as I know. Yeah, I, I definitely hadn't heard uh, about it before, like you said, on, like, a mainstream national mm-hmm. network. Um, and your book is really interesting because uh, there are... Pl- plenty of books on polyamory but uh yours is geared towards women which i find great because uh i feel like a lot of the uh, the myth is and it's something you mention a lot in this is that uh, women would be opposed to this um Mm -hmm. kind Mm -hmm. of lifestyle and you gave me some cool facts do you want to drop some (laughs) of those facts oh i can drop so many facts on you um well, first of all, I think you hit the nail on the head that most people will just right out the gate make, make this assumption that open relationships or polyamory or many forms of non-monogamy, including swinging, that most people make the assumption like, oh, of course, this is this is something that the man wants. Mm-hmm. Um, naturally, like, it must be the guy who initiated this. Um, and actually, statistically, there's not a ton of research on polyamory and open relationships, although that is changing. But statistically, they have found that women are more likely than men to ask for an open relationship. Wow. Yeah, you know, that that women are more likely to be the initiators in this conversation. And so, of course, you know, before I'd even set out to write the book, you know, learning that really got me thinking and asking a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And I also started looking around and I noticed that, you know, if you look at all the other books on polyamory that have been written, the majority of them have been written by women. And I realized that when I was going to these poly meetups that a lot of the community leaders were also women. And so, of course, you know, that just perked my ears up to start to wonder, like, why is this? What is this? Why do we still have this assumption that women would not at all be interested in this when they're so present, at least from what I can see on a day to day basis? And so, you know, that. That was one of the many things that were part of the inception of writing this book was trying to understand what is this experience of women in polyamory mm-hmm. that is actually positive and appealing. And you, let's start first. Are you single in a relation? Uh, I mean, in a relationship? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm in a number of relationships. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> relationships. It's, it's funny the way that we categorize people to be very black and white it's kind of like you're either single or taken and 
when you're not really coloring inside the lines of monogamy, that gets a little bit fuzzy. So right. like, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm in a couple of relationships, but I also go on dates occasionally, which cool. is kind of more the behavior of a single person. Yeah. So yeah, it's a little bit more fluid, I suppose. Yeah. And how long have you been practicing this lifestyle? I mean, oh, I, I feel me, weird saying it because I feel like I'm saying like lifestyle, like this is like a weird thing, but it's like not, yeah, I just, I don't know what, what else no, to say. Is that a oh, correct? Trust me, I, you know, no, I have the same issues that like sometimes people want to call it a lifestyle. Sometimes people want to call it an orientation. Some people say like, I don't want to use a label at all. Um, and again, it, I have to bring it back to the fact that we don't really have quite enough research to determine like, I mean, is this an orientation? Is there a non-monogamous gene like is can this be genetic or is this just somebody's choice like we yeah. don't quite know that yet um i know for myself i've been practicing in my life and in my relationships practicing non-monogamy and polyamory for the better part of seven years now cool and and yeah. how did that come about because you had mentioned it in your book a little bit but um mm -hmm. you want to just tell yeah, yeah sure so what i've noticed as I was growing up, kind of as I was a teenager and going into my early 20s, you know, when most of us are first learning our lessons about adult relationships, um, I, I found that I would keep, you know, I would get into relationships and I'd be very happy and happily monogamous and, um, you know, quite monogamous to the point of getting quite jealous at the thought of my boyfriend, uh, you know, being attracted to anyone else mm -hmm. or flirting with anyone else, like most of us are trained to be. Um, but I found that I kept developing crushes on other people and not just passing crushes, but like really intense interest in other people. And I was raised with very traditional relationship values. I was raised evangelical Christian. And so, of course, this didn't fly. This didn't fit with what I knew that I was supposed to be doing in relationships, you know, and every mm -hmm. single movie that we're raised on teaches us that if you truly do love someone, you won't want to be with anybody else. Yeah. And maybe even taking it to the point of you won't even be attracted to anybody else. And so which is I super silly in, because yeah everybody in life is attracted to other people regardless yeah exactly that's just kind of a thing that human beings do mm -hmm. we get attracted to other human beings um and i found that i would i would fall into this very similar cycle that a lot of people fall into which was either my choices are i end one relationship to pursue the next one which is serial monogamy which is really common um or i would have to cheat and I never I never cheated in my monogamous days but I had the temptation to for mm -hmm, sure plenty mm -hmm. of times um which I know that a lot of people can relate to as well or you just kind of like suck it up and deal with it and wait for the crush to pass which mm -hmm. also doesn't feel very great um so I would often either if I was not practicing serial monogamy as in if I was not going to dump the person I was with in order to pursue someone else then I would just kind of fall into this self-loathing depression feeling mm. like oh I'm, I'm broken I'm not supposed to feel this way I'm not supposed to be interested in more than one person at a time this is horrible um right. and then finally in my early 20s like it was happening again there was this really really hot co-worker that I was developing this huge crush it's on always a hot um, yeah I know always <laughs> um and it was my best friend who on the phone with me one night suggested like, why not an open relationship? And mm -hmm. the funny thing is that I was actually quite scandalized and maybe even a tiny bit offended at the time um, yeah. because I thought that open relationships were not for people who are actually in love with the person that they were with. Like mm -hmm. I didn't think that you could have a, a love relationship that was also open. And I thought mm -hmm. that also open relationships were for people who were sex addicted or completely commitment phobic or right. things like that, you know? Um, and so I initially just totally wrote off that suggestion. But then when I started doing some research, I started reading some books, I started doing some Googling, and that's when I came across this term polyamory. And it just, it blew the doors off my reality. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, when I started reading and started seeing like, oh my goodness, like people are doing this. And not only are they doing this, they're doing it in such a way that they're happy and everyone's happy and it's sustainable and it's viable and people are doing this for many many years people are raising families this way and and it just so blew my mind um and at the same time also felt kind of like this coming home moment of feeling like 
like, wow, like this way that I felt my entire life, other people feel it too. Like I'm not totally alone in this. Um, Totally. And then, yeah. And then, so explain maybe there, there are different types of relationships, right? Like uh, of polyamorous relationships. Like you said, um, there's swingers. You also Mm -hmm. mentioned, what's monogamish? Yeah, monogamish. Dan Savage coined that term. And to be totally honest, I'm not a fan of the term, but a lot of people are. um, So I will talk about it. And yeah, Dan Savage coined this term monogamish, which is this idea that you can remain relatively emotionally monogamous with one partner, but still choose to kind of flex the boundaries of sexual monogamy by maybe going and having a one night stand occasionally, or maybe having a threesome, or maybe you guys choose to go to a swingers party, things like Mm -hmm. that. So from what I understand, monogamish is that is kind of like, we're going to maintain some emotional monogamy, but our sexual life can be non-monogamous. Right. And, and like, I I do want to go back to some of the myths that people that you had mentioned in the book, because again, your book is geared towards women. And a lot of our listeners are guys, but I also want them to know that none of these are true. Because you have said, (laughs) also, you said the most common myths are women don't want sex, that it Mm -hmm. won't work, polyamory won't work, because women always want to settle down. Or yeah. that women with multiple partners have daddy issues. That's definitely something yeah. that I was like, oh, yes. That's like they yeah. always say, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. Um, and so none of none of those are really true. Because I tell guys that, too. We, we did an episode on um, monogamy. And uh, the guys, uh, you know, I kept telling them. I was like, it's funny because y- you guys act like you're the only ones who want sex. And like Mm, girls mm -hmm. love sex. Yeah. I mean, I would make the argument on the opposite side of that as well, because um, I think guys act as though women are the only ones who want commitment and to get married and have a family. Yes, complete. And it's so funny because I've only dated guys who like want to get married and have kids. And I'm the one who's been like, I'm not totally sure that's what I want to do. Yeah, I know. It's funny. I mean, in my personal experience, having dated both men and women and people who are, you know, off of the the binary gender spectrum, um, the people that I've been in relationships with that have wanted commitment and family and marriage the most have all been heterosexual men. Um, Of course, that's just speaking from anecdotal experience, but still. No, it's so true. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between um, this might sound this might sound very like a stupid question to ask, but let's just put it out there for people listening to be like, what's the difference between an open relationship and cheating? Wow. Um, I mean, a world of difference. Um, There's, there's this term floating around, um, which is ethical non-monogamy, which is sometimes used, especially in editorials and articles to talk about these kind of relationships that we're starting to see more in the mainstream, like polyamory, like swinging, um, you know, this consensual ethical non-monogamy, which is the idea that these two people have come together and have consensually agreed, like, this is going to be the terms of our relationship. Like, mm-hmm. we're not going to expect monogamy from each other. We're, we have freedom to pursue other partners, so on and so forth. Which, of course, is a highlight, uh, well, more of a contrast to the form of non-monogamy that we're used to seeing Um in our mainstream culture, which is cheating, which is non-consensual, non-ethical, non-monogamy. It's, you know, I think we're all pretty familiar with it. It's Mm -hmm. this idea that, yeah, you're sleeping with multiple people, but it's very cloak and dagger. We're telling lies about it. We're covering it up. We're not being totally honest. And for me, that almost starts to seep into a gray area with casual dating because I feel like people of our generation, when it comes to casual dating, we kind of end up in this weird gray area when we're not quite in an exclusive relationship with someone yet, but maybe we're heading there, but we're dating a couple people at the same time. And we all know that everyone's dating multiple people, but we're not going to talk about it, you know, and if they text us when we're out on a date with someone else, we're going to come up with a convenient excuse to tell them why we're not available. You know, that Mm -hmm, it becomes mm -hmm. a little bit of this ethical gray area where we kind of dance around Mm -hmm. the truth, as it were. So when you um, discuss polyamory, 
uh, with people or just sort of in general, are do you refer to it as kind of the ethical version or, or it's just sort of open? It's people can interpret it the way they want and need. Within the community, I mean, is it something that's sort of like, mm, or or are are people who aren't honest about it also considered polyamorous, or are they considered cheaters? I I would say no. I mean, yeah. I think definitely one of the foundational elements of polyamory or consensual slash ethical non monogamy is the honest aspect of it, mm-hmm. and of course, and that and so because the emphasis is on the honest aspect of it, that means that you can identify as non monogamous or as polyamorous, and still cheat. <laughs> You know, you can because cheating implies this, this, um, you know, like I said, the cloak and dagger resorting to lying. And so maybe you and a partner have come to an agreement about, you know, being able to pursue multiple partners and sleep with other people. But maybe you still choose to lie about a particular part of it or you choose to hide a particular partner from another partner. You know, that that. Oh, yeah, it happens. Unfortunately, it's not a good thing that it happens, but it does happen. You know, Mm. and I just feel like at that point when you've already discussed that it's going to be open, why do you feel like there's anything to lie about? Well, I mean, that's what I would think. But human nature still gets in the way. And bear in mind that we're still so incredibly uh, deeply socially trained towards traditional monogamous values that sometimes that in that deprogramming process, it's really hard for people to be honest. Even even if I've sat down with a partner and we've agreed like, okay, yeah, it's totally okay to be honest and be open and share about our other relationships, mm-hmm. that sometimes it's still that knee-jerk reaction, if we, especially if we think that our partner is going to have a not-so-great reaction to something. Like yeah. that human nature still gets in there. Yeah, and what's, what's the difference? I, I, this is like a personal curiosity of like, you know, because you had said that one of the problems is like people also say people who might be polyamorous are just like sex addicts, which I don't mm-hmm. believe, obviously. But um, as mm. somebody who had, had dated two before, <laughs> I feel like mm. I know the difference. But um, I'm just curious of like, how do you answer those kinds of questions? Well, it's so interesting tackling sex and polyamory because Mm -hmm. honestly we can tackle the question of sex the same way we tackle it for monogamous relationships you know that in a monogamous relationship someone can have a high sex drive or a low sex drive Mm -hmm. and same thing for someone who's polyamorous they may have a high sex drive or a low sex drive they may be kinky and into bdsm and really into group sex acts or they may be really vanilla and that can happen regardless of if they're monogamous or if they're polyamorous with multiple partners Mm um And the other thing is that what I've found in the polyamorous community is there's actually a fair representation of people who identify as asexual. And part of that being that if you identify as asexual, the idea of being able to have a relationship that is still romantic and still emotionally intense and still very committed and still very caring, but that there isn't a sexual aspect to it because your partner can, you know, if your partner is also not asexual, they can find sexual satisfaction in another relationship that they're having that many asexual people find that very appealing. Because Mm. if you think about it in a in kind of a traditional monogamous aspect, if you get into a really emotionally intense romantic relationship with somebody, but there's no sex, we see that as not a relationship or not a happy relationship. Right? Yeah. I mean, some would say that's just a friendship. (laughs) exactly which is so funny that sex is the only thing keeping us away from loving our friends i suppose yeah right it's true though yeah sometimes it's in some cases it's definitely true um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's interesting yeah because i also think the difference between uh sex addiction and like a lifestyle choice like polyamory is that in general, sex addiction is something that people don't understand, and we did an episode on it. But um, mm. it's just also there's a compulsion to that. Um, yeah. For people who are sex addicts, there's a compulsion that it doesn't matter almost who it is if they're in the, mm. in that state and they want something like the, it comes at the detriment of their relationships. Um, yeah. Whereas polyamory isn't like you're just trying to go sleep with every single person you know what I mean like there's still a level of like I want a connection I'm still attracted to you like all those things yeah certainly I mean no that's the thing is like if someone truly is a certifiable sex addict having multiple partners isn't necessarily going to make them 
better, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, yes, or going to yeah. mean that they're not a sex addict anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's going to be all the same problems. So, so the, the the multiple relationships you're in, what do you get that's like um, different from, do you get something that's different from each of them or? Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. Like, yeah, of course, like the same way that you get different things from your mom and different things from your dad or different things from your different friends you know every single person is an individual and I think that one of the things that I've loved the most about having polyamorous relationships is that it brings out different things in me I you know different experiences that I never would have had different aspects of my own personality that come Mm -hmm. out that I find myself not necessarily falling into, I think, a rut that you can get in when you're with just the same person day in and day out, Mm -hmm. 24-7, 365 days a year. That, yeah, there's kind of this fluidity that comes out that I really, really enjoy. Yeah. You know, my beef when we did, like, the we did the monogamy episode, I kind of brought that up too, is, like, um, my beef with guys who try to pitch polyamory as like a lifestyle mm-hmm. is usually because I think um, I feel like it becomes very one-sided like a lot of guys out there who, who might be listening to this episode are also like hey maybe I'm polyamorous and that's what I want but I feel like they're the type who they want to explore other options and not just other options they want to explore multiple partners but uh, they wouldn't be comfortable if their partner were actually Mm -hmm. seeing multiple people yeah and like it does that ever happen or is that just that's I feel like not polyamory (laughs) Um, well, the most common thing that happens is what uh, is referred to as OPP or one penis policy, um, right. which uh, which is this is actually really, really common, especially for couples who are who are formerly mono- monogamous and just opening up. But the idea being that he is free to explore, you know, is free to date other women and sleep with other women. And she is also free to date other women or sleep with other women but no other men um mm. see that, that happens me off. all the time <laughs> oh gosh no it's so it's so awful and the thing is that you know and and i've talked to a lot like a number of women in these relationships and sometimes they're very much apologists about it there's this you know there's often this monologuing about like yeah but you know i'm i'm more interested in sleeping with women anyway like i want to explore my bisexual side i'm, I'm more interested in, in seeing women so it's okay and and if that's truly the case then there doesn't need there shouldn't need to be a rule right against sleeping with men you know mm-hmm. um but yeah that happens all the time um I've seen it happen in the reverse, uh, an OVP, a one vagina policy. Really Um, interesting. uh, I've seen it. I mean, anecdotally, I've only seen it once. I know it's, uh, but only, only once Mm -hmm. have I ever seen it. Most of the time, it's it's the man who kind of tries to dominate the balance of the relationship, as it were. Yeah, because I mean... and I only say that as like again a different example, but I've been cheated on before. And whenever the mm-hmm. guy has done some bullshit, um, and you know, once it was sort of like, well, I've been thinking about seeing other people, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So you you're you'd be okay if I did too then. Mm-hmm. And then it mm-hmm. turns into like literal anger. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. So what? <laughs> so how does this work? You just want to yeah. be free, and I feel like that's definitely something I want to like point out I wanted to point out in this episode because I feel like there's so many dudes out there who who might be trying to pitch this idea but like don't try to do it unless you're willing to yeah yeah definitely um I saw I don't remember where I saw this but there was this um kind of definition of polyamory floating out there and you know for someone to identify as polyamorous I don't think it's based on your desire or your capability of having multiple relationships. Mm -hmm. Really, your identity as being polyamorous at the end of the day is going to be based more on how well you handle your partner having Ah, other relationships. Because I think that's where it truly lies. Because, Yeah. yeah, because it is about that. It is about how compassionate can I be if my partner suddenly has three dates lined up and yeah. I've got crickets on okay Cupid. Mm-hmm. you know, how much do I want to be polyamorous <laughs> then? And it's not to say that there's not going to be times of feast or famine or sometimes it's not going to be uncomfortable. It's not to say that, but it's like, even when it's uncomfortable, do you still want to be polyamorous? Yeah. And 
there's some interesting parts of it too like again the myth uh, and maybe this is a myth you just assume that or it's just an assumption that people who are polyamorous might not get jealous because it's like oh you've mm. decided that it's going to be open but mm-hmm. that's not true oh certainly not um you know for me i think that with jealousy i mean just to get the basics out of the way jealousy is a very common relatively universal human emotion um a lot of people feel it in not just in romantic or sexual context we feel jealousy at work we feel jealous of coworkers. we feel jealous of our boss we can feel jealous of our siblings we can feel jealous of our friends um you know, so we feel jealousy in many different arenas of of life. And for some reason, it's this funny thing that when it comes to romantic and sexual jealousy, that we, our only coping mechanism for it is just to make sure that our partner is stopping whatever they're doing that's making us jealous. Um, you know, we, we don't have the luxury of going up to a coworker and saying, stop getting that promotion, you're making me jealous. Right, <laughs> um, right, right, right. But, but we do in romantic and sexual relationships, mm-hmm. at least in, you know, kind of more traditional relationships. Um, I found that the most successful people who are non-monogamous or polyamorous just kind of change their own relationship to jealousy, as it were. Interesting. That jealous, jealousy can become more of a tool for... For, first of all, for highlighting what your insecurities are, of course, um, mm-hmm. you know, that when you get jealous, that means that some sort of deeply buried insecurity is being dragged out, kicking and streaming, screaming into the light. And that can actually be a very useful thing because it's a chance to look at that and be like, oh, huh, that's interesting. That's an interesting insecurity. Like, how do I feel about that? How do I handle that? Is there a way to heal that insecurity? Um, and then I found that jealousy can also be an excellent just kind of little reminder of um, how important it is to communicate vulnerably with your partner, mm-hmm. with your partners. Um, yeah, I met you know, another, be, yeah. I met a, a, um, a poly wife and she was telling me like she gets very, they have a complete, they have an open marriage, of course. And, mm-hmm. um, and she gets jealous though, but she mm-hmm. did say that she's learned to channel it in a way which I found kind of cool where she said it makes her step up her game and it makes Hmm. her uh you know be more um fun kinky try different things Mm. with her man when she's back with him you know and it kind Mm, of makes interesting she uses it and channels it to kind of make their sex life even better when they do come together yeah Um, yeah and that's that's an excellent way to to use it and to channel it yeah Um, i've definitely in my own life have experienced that where it's like oh maybe i'm feeling this insecurity about like a particular body part because i know i haven't been up on my exercise in a while so maybe Mm -hmm. i should just channel this into taking care of myself a little bit better um for me i found these days that the times that i do get jealous if there's any kind of little trigger it actually inspires me to try to um, make a better connection with, um, I'm going to drop some vocabulary on you here, um, with my metamor, my metamor, which is um, your partner's partner. So the, the, you know, the other person that your partner may be dating. And for me, I found like if I'm feeling insecure, if I'm feeling jealous, if I'm feeling negativity, not just towards my partner, but towards my partner's partner, my metamor, that that for me, I'm like, that's the signal that I'm like, okay, I need to connect to my metamor like I need to to find a way to make that relationship good so that it's easier for me to also feel happy for her and happy for my partner and are when you, they're together are you pretty good friends with some of your metamors you know it varies mm-hmm. I have some metamors that like I've lived with actually oh. <laughs> um that we were roommates for for a couple months and some metamors where like I just kind of connect and like maybe we're Facebook friends and we chat occasionally but not much more than that yeah. sometimes metamors that we go out for coffee like and I've had metamors in the past that I ended up also dating wow, um, that's awesome. so yeah it really runs the gamut and I found that in my experience, the times when my relationships with my metamors have been bad, it hasn't happened very often, but the times that it has been bad and really negative, it's because there's been a lack of connection between us. It's Mm -hmm. because we've been trying to avoid each other and trying to not talk to each other. And, or maybe we've been, you know, using the partner we have in common as like, you know, and playing this weird telephone game to talk to each other. And that's always been a recipe for a really tense relationship. Yeah. So, that's, you know, that's often my number one piece of advice for people who are just opening up or are maybe feeling a little bit weird and tense and jealous is um, 
trying to connect to your partner's partner because there's something so powerful in actually sitting down and seeing someone as a human being face to face. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm also super curious about this. How the fuck do you manage multiple relationships? <laughs> I feel like it's hard to handle one. Of course. I hate even when I'm dating, like, it's just like in the, you know, when you're just like, now I'm super single. And it's like, if I have Uh to juggle multiple texts with like different guys, I'm already like overwhelmed Uh and I can't deal. And I'm like, fuck. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, um, sometimes the way that people look at multiple relationships is a little bit based on monogamy, actually, is kind of looking through it through the lens of monogamy. Because we look at someone who has three relationships and we think of like our last monogamous relationship where we were like spending, uh, you know, 90% of our free time with this one person and like going to every holiday together and going out together all the time and and being like, geez, I can't handle that times three. That's crazy. Um, And in reality, it's a little bit different because, you know, if I'm seeing one partner but not giving all of my free time to this one partner because he also has another partner that he spends time with. Like, he doesn't need 100% of my time, if that makes sense. Yeah, but so do, and, you, do you get, like, does anybody feel like you, do you have to text every one of them every day? Like, is um, it... I mean, I... You know, because if I'm, like, right, dating somebody yeah. and if I'm in a relationship with them, I feel like they expect, like, a text a day, at least. Yeah, well... That also depends on not only what your relationship is like, but also on the person, mm. you know. I have some I have some connections to people that are a little bit more casual where we don't need to text every day. But I do have, right now, I have two partners that I do text at least every single day and throughout the day. Um, but this is also coming to the understanding that... Do you ever copy-paste um, texts and, like, repeat? Like, oh, God, no. No, 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 I, no, I do that all the my time goodness. with my friends. That's why I'm wondering. I literally would, like... Unless, Unless it's, like, some crazy story of what happened today, you Yeah, know, I do it all the time. Um, I literally copy, out, like, when I had a boyfriend, I would copy, <laughs> like, I would write him something and then copy it and send it to my mom and my best friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, just, you all need to know the same thing. Just, like, let's all be on the uh-huh. same page. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. But anything that's, like, intimate or personal, then no, I yeah, don't do yeah, the copy-paste. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's why I'm but single, that, But guys. bear in mind that, that everyone's <laughs> on the same page here that they know that, like, like, I don't have 100% of my, of my time to give to one person. And then also, I'm not expecting 100% of someone else's time. Yeah. 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 Because my partners also have other partners, you know. This yeah. Is, this isn't a one-sided thing. So, uh, I want to continue this conversation. Um, I'd love to get some more information. This is uh, what we're going to do after. Um talk about you know how to explore if maybe you are polyamorous or thinking about uh you know trying the lifestyle um and how to try to make poly relationships work so maybe you can help us with that after sure sounds good um guys stay tuned uh we're gonna talk to Dedeker winston some more but first this message Hey guys, thanks for listening to Kind of Dating. I'm Natasha Chandel, talking to author and poly coach Dedeker Winston. Um, She is the author of The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory, and she's going to help us break down some myths and facts. Uh, Hi, Dedeker. Hi there. I'm glad (laughs) to be here. Uh, So I'd love to kind of dive into uh, how to explore if, if... you are polyamorous like how when is a good time to start thinking about it like is it a is it a feeling or is it kind of like what you said like you're starting to notice that you're seeing or are attracted to multiple people like what's the difference between just being like attracted to multiple people and wanting to be polyamorous oh goodness um I mean I think that if you can learn to kind of differentiate between when you're attracted to someone versus when you're interested in someone. Mm. Um, Because, yeah, you know, any number of gorgeous men can walk down the street and be like, oh, yeah, they're attractive. He's attractive. She's attractive. They're attractive. But maybe I'm not going to be actually interested in any of these people. I can just appreciate that they're attractive. Um, But if it is something like maybe you're developing a little bit more of a crush on someone Mm -hmm. um, or a crush on multiple people, as in there's an interest of like, I could see myself dedicating time energy effort to being in a relationship with multiple people Mm. then you might want to start considering it and what if it's just like i just want to fuck a bunch of different people 
I mean, that's, I mean, there's many options for that too. You know, you have to evaluate, does that mean I want to be single and just kind of casually date and casually sleep around until I'm ready to not do that anymore? Or does it mean I want to connect to some kind of play party group or some kind of swingers group and then, you know, be able to have a lot of casual hookups in the swinging scene or in the, you know, play party scene? That's kind of up for the individual to decide. It's just like... Is that like, yeah. a, is like, is that a version of Where an orgy? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay. You know, there's, there's any number of swinging communities, some of which have like a rigorous application process, some of which are a little an bit more application process? open. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you know, I mean, the thing is that in swinging communities and play party communities, it's very important for people to be discreet. For people to be respectful, you know, for people to be respectful of consent and to be good communicators and to be safe people to be around. And so that's why a lot of these do have a relatively intense screening process. Oh, super interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, is, is everyone who, <laughs> you're going to hate me for asking this, but I have to ask it. <laughs> is everyone who is polyamorous a commitment phobe? So that's interesting. I want to dive into that term commitment, first of all. How do you define commitment? I don't know. I mean, I'm a commitment <laughs> So but it's funny because I, uh, I mean, for me, it's like it, I, I haven't been like a believer of marriage, but I, be, I mm-hmm. personally um, believe in commitment. So like I can put mm-hmm. in my energy to one person and whatever it is. I just don't like rituals and stupid Mm. ceremonies telling me like this now means more than it should have just meant from the beginning yeah um so that's like my beef with the whole wedding thing but uh but i you know i've i've been a a commitment phobe for a long time or i I was for many years and uh people asked me actually somebody on this uh, on the show asked me uh if i was polyamorous because of that and i was like i don't i don't Mm. think so but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Does it mean that everybody was polyamorous as a commitment phobe? <laughs> and that person was polyamorous. That's why I was like... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, the term commitment itself, we can kind of pick apart because I think that commitment doesn't necessarily have to mean sexual exclusivity mm-hmm. or a legal contract. Um You know, I think that traditionally we do define commitment as meaning that, as Mm -hmm. meaning only sleeping with one person and getting into a legal contract with just one person. Um, Personally, I feel I'm very committed to my relationships, which people always scoff at because it's like, well, how can you be committed if you have more than one boyfriend? But it's a sense of commitment as in like, I'm committed to being the best possible partner. I'm committed yeah, that you give your time, your energy even, and- yes, I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm going to give my time, give my energy, make sure that I'm still crafting and caring for these relationships. And that if it gets difficult, if someone is going through a difficult time in their life, if I'm arguing with a partner, if we're starting to disagree on something that I don't just head for the hills, mm-hmm. you know, that's that I'm going to stick it out and try to make the best possible relationship as long as it's making both people happy. Mm-hmm. And so, that's how I define commitment, which I feel can be accomplished without needing to be sexually exclusive and without needing to have some kind of legal contract with somebody. Right. And if you if you are somebody who wants to explore this lifestyle, how how should somebody bring it up to either uh, a partner if you're in a relationship trying to open it up or mm-hmm. um you're about to get into one and you're trying to break it to them that like, hey, Mm -hmm. I'm interested in an open relationship. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the first step, um, first of all, is educating yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, so that means reading books. Obviously, I can recommend my own book, The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory. However, it's really, really good. I was very, I was going through it and I was like, it's really great. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. But there are plenty of other excellent books out there. Um, no, nah, no, nah, we'll you know, just talk about of... yours. No, okay, okay, fine, <laughs> no, fine. I'm just messing. I was gonna try. I was gonna try to be polite to my peers, but it's okay. We can just focus on mine. Um, but it's not. It's not just podcast. Or sorry, it's not just books. It's also podcasts. There are a fair number of polyamory podcasts. I can also plug my own podcast. Yeah, you have I guess while yeah, we're yeah, at yeah, it, yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My podcast, Multiamory, which I run with one of uh, with one of my partners and one of my former partners. There's three of us. Um, you know, is an excellent resource for 
for just kind of educating yourself and evaluating. I mean, now there's like so many articles and so many blog posts and so many uh, people sharing their personal experiences. So there really is a wealth of information out yeah. there to to just kind of learn and get exposed. But I think the other really important part of that is to connect to a community. Mm-hmm. And it could be an online community. You know, there's plenty of online polyamory communities on Facebook groups or on forums. Or if you can find a local meetup that's close to you, that's excellent too. So that's kind of the first step. But I will address your question about actually bringing it up. Um, and... I know people can get really scared of this because it's kind of like a Schrodinger's cat situation Um, where it's kind of like, I'm afraid that if I bring it up, then my partner's going to know that then I'm interested in that. And then if my partner's not interested in that, then my partner's going to bounce. Which is kind of the reason in general people are scared of admitting they want to be in an open relationship. Exactly. Exactly. Which is, you know, which actually does happen, unfortunately. Um, there's, so for somebody who is uh, identifies as single or who is dating or who is just starting to seek out partners who might be interested in this, um, you know, of course, the first piece of advice would be great. Connect to community, connect to actual people, connect to other people who identify in this way. But the other thing that I could give you is be upfront about what you want before the first date even happens. Mm. I cannot stress that enough. Like, do not wait until the after the first date. Do not wait until the second date. Do not wait until the third yeah, date. Do not wait until after you've yeah, slept with each yeah, other. Yeah. Like, be upfront as soon as possible. And I know that that leaves you for much more chance of rejection, especially yeah. the men, especially men yeah. who, who do genuinely want to be polyamorous and do actually identify. It's going to leave you open to rejection much sooner. But it's and by much rejection, better to it get means re- they might not hit it that night. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, you might not hit it that night. The person may not respond to your message on OkCupid yeah. or the first date may end with everyone just feeling kind of disappointed yeah. and with a bad taste in their mouth. But it's much better to have that rejection happen sooner rather than later on down the line when both of you are heading in opposite directions, not realizing it and then realizing that, you know what, yeah, actually we can't give each other what you want. Later, yeah. Yeah. yeah, short-term pain now, for long-term gain. Ex- Exactly, exactly. And now as for people who are currently partnered, like maybe you're partnered monogamously and you're kind of thinking like, maybe actually I want to try a poly relationship or I want to try opening up our relationship. Obviously, that's the situation where things are the most daunting, right? Because there is that fear that if I bring this up, then maybe my partner will leave because they'll be so pissed off or upset or sad or jealous or whatever. Um, And So for that, you know, after you've educated yourself, after you've evaluated for yourself whether or not this is something that you want to try, um, there are a number of great ways to bring it up relatively nonchalantly. You know, it could be like, hey, I was listening to the Kind of Dating podcast the other day and they had this person on talking about polyamory and that was crazy. And what do you think about that? You know, Um, you know, or, or now that there's so many articles that come out, like there was just, you know, the cover article in New York Times was about open marriage, you know, that in itself is a conversation mm. starter. But when it's time to actually get down to brass tacks, as it were, to actually talk to your partner about this, um, it can just be very, it's better to just be very, um, you know, like, like, um, the way that I think is the most successful is for people to just say, hey, how would you feel about having a conversation about opening our relationship? Mm-hmm. And put the emphasis on having the conversation rather than on the let's dive right into this. Right. And that can, I mean, it's still scary. Of course, it's still going to feel vulnerable. But I think it will help to reassure your partner that like you're not diving into taking a bunch of crazy hairpin turns on your relationship, Mm -hmm. that it's just opening up the dialogue and getting kind of curious about what everyone thinks. Yeah. And what if that person just not into it? Well, then it's time for, you know, the person who's pitching it, I guess, to evaluate, Um, you know, because yeah, yeah. Is this something that I really need to explore or is this something that I'm okay not exploring now and sometimes it takes people a while to find that out yeah let me ask you uh, again this is one of the the dumb questions but I have to ask um, because I think you had also written about it a little bit in your book and uh, just kind of like the stigmas around sex and polyamory and like STDs Mm -hmm. like how for Mm. those people who are like how do they how do you make sure everybody's clean and healthy yeah. I would say oh, yeah, it's definitely. like in the same fucking way we do in life. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> like it's not like half of us who are dating are I, just like yeah. dating one person. 
you know it, yeah like exactly, in early exactly. stages or whatever but yeah yeah so that's the thing different. is is um actually studies have found that people who are in polyamorous communities or swinging communities or some other kind of ethically non-monogamous community they're less likely to either catch or pass an STI um, than someone who is monogamous and cheating. Ah, very true. And you can never fucking control a cheater. Ex- exactly. And yeah. because people are, who are cheating are less likely to use protection. Oh, yeah. Um, and of course, they're not, obviously, they're not the best communicators because they're not going to be communicating actively mm-hmm. about what's happening in their sex life or maybe what's happening with their sexual health. And there hasn't been a direct study done on this, but I would venture to say that somebody who's in a consensually, like, openly non-monogamous relationship is likely probably going to have a better grasp on their sexual health than mm-hmm. someone who's just casually dating. Because think about when you were casually dating, when's the last time that someone openly told you like, oh yeah, I'm using condoms with this person that I'm casually seeing. I'm yeah, not using no, condoms with this person that I'm casually seeing. I had HPV so many years ago, you know. Yeah. That's still an awkward conversation to have that, that we're not trained to have. And so it's the same time when you sleep with someone you're casually dating and you haven't talked about it, like you don't know. True, true. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And so how, how are there any tips on how to make like poly relationships work? If somebody's going to be venturing <laughs> I mean, into, I would I mean, say communication. Tosh, I wrote, a, I wrote a, well, Tosh, I wrote a hundred thousand word book. I know. <laughs> Is it all on trying to make it work? Because a lot of it is also just like what it is and all of that. I, um, honestly, I think that the same things that make for healthy monogamous relationships, right. same things apply yeah. to poly relationships. Yeah, it's a lot of communication. Not just communication. Yeah, communication is important. I think the precursor to communication is self-awareness, mm. is knowing yourself, knowing your ins and outs, knowing what your triggers are, knowing what your strengths are, knowing what it is that you want, um, as well as some form of emotional management and emotional self-care, things like meditation or you know any kind of spiritual mm-hmm. practice things like that it's all the same things yeah. that make monogamous relationships work it's just in a slightly different context yeah and yeah. and this is something that uh you know you also had like a section on like the good and the bad the ugly and mm. uh again another myth is sort of like because you have m- multiple relationships getting in and out of them would be easy but breakups <laughs> still are hard they're still in poly hard. relationships yeah, yeah. I, I mean the metaphor i always use is it's like if one of your friends died it's not like that feels any less shitty because you have other friends right. you know breakups can still hurt like hell yeah. and still be really possibly nasty at the same time um it is nice that you can be going through a breakup and be able to have someone there to comfort you. Yeah, yeah. And I think that actually, at least in my own life and what I've seen in the lives of my friends and the lives of my clients is that if you're in a relationship that clearly is not working and you know it's probably not going to work, but you're trying to make it work, you're trying to make it work, you're trying to make it work and it's just not working, that at least you can kind of eliminate that little voice in your head that's like, oh, but if you leave this person, like, no one's going to love you ever again. Mm. Or if you leave this person, like, then you're going to be alone and you're going to be single and you're going to be pathetic. That at least it's like, well, I know I have this support network in place to carry me through this really difficult time. And I can attest from personal experience, having been through some really, really bad breakups while being polyamorous, that having a support network, not just of other partners, but of my metamors as well, um, wow. to have this whole extended intimate network. Do you guys like shit talk during... about the person? Oh, heck yes. <laughs> You're like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, heck Hate yes. When he or she did. <laughs> Blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, um, and but having that in place get can it. be really Nobody useful. Else gets it. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, so, Dedeker, you think you think you might ever change your mind and go back to monogamy? Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's you know, when I try to visualize that, I'm I'm like, would I ever get married? Like. Yeah, maybe I would get married. But I guess it would be an open marriage. I don't know. Like yeah. it's it's hard for me. It's hard for me to see it. And this is also coming from personal experience, having tried to give some last cracks at monogamy. Um, yeah. 
you know, even though I, I started opening up my relationship seven years ago, like there was a few years of trial and error where I did kind of think like, oh, maybe I should give a last crack at monogamy. And it was just like, Ugh, no, 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 no. This is not me. Um, yeah. I mean, never say never. And I don't know who I'm going to be 10 years from now. But from where I'm, you know, from this vantage point, it's difficult for me to see it. Yeah. And part of that has been because like it's just felt so good. Not that it's been easy, but it's felt so satisfying. So... That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's why I wanted to yeah. have you on the show. I feel like you have like a, a healthy grasp of of uh of this. So um oh, I do my best. Yeah, that's dope. Uh so are you ready uh for your five questions? Oh, oh gosh, is there a five question thing yep. on this show? Yep. Okay, we, I guess I have to be ready. <laughs> uh, for every guest we ask uh five questions. It's our dating version of the Bernard Pivot questionnaire made famous on mm. Inside the Actor Studio. So this is Excellent. our these, these are our own original dating questions. They're so original. Um, okay. <laughs> we ask every guest the same ones. So, Dedeker, here are your five questions. And it's however you interpret them. So your answer is based okay. on that. What is the first thing you notice about a potential partner? Their hands. Soft? Especially, especially in men. I, I look at the hands first. Do I don't know why. That's just... It's like, I, I, there's people have good hands and people have bad hands. Right. And it's really hard for me to describe what it is. But, but for some reason, it's kind of like, especially if I'm starting to notice I have a sexual attraction to a person, it's like, I want to know what their hands are going to be right. like on me. True. So yes, I, I notice the hands first. What is your one deal breaker? Oh gosh, I feel like I have too many deal breakers, yeah. <laughs> honestly. Um, uh, I mean, it should be fairly obvious, but any kind of expectation of monogamy right. is going to be a deal Duh. breaker because we're just, we're both going to be unhappy in that situation. Yeah. What turns you on? Mm-hmm. Suspenders. Yes. Uh, I- <laughs> people don't wear them enough. Oh God. Yeah. No, it's a, I mean, it's a long story. I got a weird, like, imp- like imprinted during puberty thing with suspenders, but it's just, it's always been there. And Was it's it just, Urkel yeah. related? It wasn't. That's, but that's, um, I hadn't considered that. <laughs> um, at least I don't think it was Urkel right. related. What is one of your strengths and one of your weaknesses in relationships? Um, Goodness. I mean, I think I do have a strength in juggling multiple relationships, right. as we've been talking about. I think my weakness, oh, my weakness in relationships. Um, I think I I try to be a little too independent and expect others to be too independent as well. Mm. I think um, I was raised, I mean, I was raised... Um, my mother, who in the 80s, you know, the term codependence was, was the hot pop psych word floating around yeah. and I think I was raised with a big fear of codependence and so for me it's been a lot of training myself to be much more vulnerable in relationships um yeah that makes sense yeah. and finally besides I love you what three words would you want your partner to tell you three words mm-hmm. oh goodness um Probably like I have cheese <laughs> <Nice. laughs> or something along those lines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You didn't like cheese. <laughs> I know. Seriously. <laughs> Dedeker, thank you so much for being a part of this episode. We really appreciate the insights. Um, of course. How can people find you on socials? Yes. Um, so if they're interested in following me, they can find me at, at Dedeker Winston on Twitter. Um you can find my book, The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory, by going on Amazon, or you can waltz on down to your local Barnes & Noble, mm-hmm. or you can support an indie bookseller as well. Um, and you can find my po- my podcast, Multiamory, at multiamory.com. Awesome. Um, and guys, we're also on socials. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Kinda Dating. And Kinda Dating is presented by Meltdown Comics. Come visit us, 7522 Sunset Boulevard here in L.A. Thank you so much for downloading this episode. Please take a few seconds and review us on iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. And remember, send us your questions and dating stories to kindadating at gmail.com. And finally, I know it seems tough out there, but just try. Till next time. The show is produced by myself and Mason Booker, who's also the audio engineer. 
Our associate producer is Aisha Holden. Opening music composed by Joe Lorenzetti. And our logo and graphics are by Jenna Yannick and K. Daniel Ellis.